Guten Tag, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Have to Yell. I'm your host, Dan Sally, recording live from Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy. Now, this month, we've been diving into the gun debate, and for those of you who are listening in for the first time, here's a quick recap. First, we talked with Professor Brian K. Fry of the University of Kentucky's College of Law, who told us that based on past gun cases that found their way to the Supreme Court, the Constitution says really whatever you want it to say about gun ownership. Not entirely helpful. Then we talked to David, who moved to Oklahoma from Ireland, and he really felt the issue was less about guns than it was about how our mental health care sucks in this country. So, with that out of the way, what does the data say? Now, my data monkey Mike came by to discuss, and I have to make a disclaimer before the episode starts. Uh, Both of us have been drinking, and we editorialize a lot in this episode. Uh, My producer, Jason, who lives in North Carolina, said we had a few quote-unquote Northeast moments in the conversation, which I think can probably be expected when you get two non-gun owners from Massachusetts talking about guns. Jason still seemed to think the conversation was balanced, and I'm hoping that the gun owners listening in feel the same. And again, if you are a gun owner or Second Amendment advocate, I think there's some stuff at the end you're going to agree with. So I'll be back at the end with closing comments. But now let us release the data monkey. I know when when we started talking, you know, I had I was kind of coming to this blank. And really what I wanted you to help me figure out was what is the state of U.S. gun ownership look like? You know, so um, and it's interesting. I. So I in in the last episode we did, I talked with David, who moved here from Ireland and became a a gun enthusiast due to his hatred of American meat products. So he basically got here. I don't know if anybody's listening or Mike, you've been to Ireland, right? I have not actually. You haven't. Sadly. Okay. One of my I, it's a huge oversight on my part, but okay. yes, I've not been there yet. Let me tell you, as somebody as you and I, two people who've grown up of Irish American background, Ireland sent none of their good chefs over here because the food there is actually quite good and the meat is fantastic. So David comes over here, he tries the meat here, it's disgusting. He goes out and he buys a gun and shoots his own. And then all of a sudden discovers, hey, oh, I like shooting AR fifteens, right? Now this guy has no dog in the fight for the gun debate here. He doesn't care about the second amendment. He doesn't care about his right to bear arms. All he wants to do is go out and shoot wild pigs and turn them into sausage. So he can have halfway edible meat here. That's David's, uh, that's David's MO. Now, the interesting thing he said to me though, is he was talking about how he really felt like part of it was a mental health issue. So he really felt like a lot of it wasn't necessarily the guns in so much as the fact that we have a lot of crazy people and we don't bother to do anything to treat them. And, you know, one of the things I asked when we started talking about digging into the data is really to dig into where the majority of gun deaths lie. And now I did a little sneak peek at your data before this. And the data says the majority of gun deaths are suicide. So that's about right. About two thirds. Yeah. So my first question for you is, can we lump that into sort of the quote unquote mental health section 
do you think? Or is that kind of I mean, a reach? I, I think so. I think, I mean, you know, I can definitely say I came away with the impression from the what I looked at is that mm-hmm. um, we seem to have an elevated suicidal rate. Really? That relative to the developed world. Okay. Cross-sectioning that with some other academic work, mm-hmm. it would seem that owning a gun makes you more likely to kill yourself. Okay. Okay. So do you have any specific data points? Like how does the suicide rate in the U.S. differ from? Yeah. So it's interesting because that's, it unpacks a big uh, cultural question. All right. Mm-hmm. So um, suicides per 100,000 people from the data that I found. So, um, you know, if you look at sort of the top ranking places are like, you know, Russia, Lithuania, the Ivory Coast, Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. um, South Korea, oddly, um, in 10th place. Uh, right. You know, you're coming down to like Zimbabwe, Nigeria, and we're sort of going down the list, right? Um, 30 is Japan, and then 34 is the United States. Okay. Um, to get to really a lot of other developed countries you kind of kind of start go down the list a little further so i mean you can get to the other ones seem like they're isolated or arctic like finland um you know you get to poland iceland these are now ones that are are fall below the u.s south africa uh france is like 48th so as i say elevated i didn't want to make it sound like it was like wildly higher but we we do rank 34th versus south africa at 46th Yes. Okay. Yes. Like France at 48. So correlation doesn't equal causation, but the majority of gun deaths are suicides and our suicide rate is relatively high for the developed world. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And you can sort of see it in, um, you know, as I say, in the, there's a, a paper um, I came across on, um, it looked at, you know, the, the ownership rate of firearms and then they did the total age adjusted suicide rates per 100,000 population. Um, and they could see like an associated increase, uh, with overall ownership, um, you know, versus the, um, you know, with, with gun ownership. Got it. Got it. I mean, I'm, and my, and my thought is like, it's just harder. Like it takes more effort to kill yourself other ways. Well, yeah. If you've got a handgun in the house, it's easy to make the decision and then just make it happen. Yeah. So, like I said, I did a little digging through the the data you'd compiled before this. And it's somewhere, what, like around 40% of households right now own a gun? Is that correct? Yeah. And that, you know, firearms per 100 residents. So, basically, in the U.S., there's like 1.2 guns per person. You know, that compares to like, that compares to like Yemen, where there's like 0.5 guns. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're like, we're armed to the teeth. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. People really like their guns. We do. We really like guns. And I say that up front, like I even like them, right? I mean, I'm even, well, yeah. I, I even kind of want to have one. And, but like, you know, most gun owners, 
say that protection is the reason why they want it. So hunting, pr- protection far outweighs hunting. Like hunting's mm-hmm. like 38% of gun owners say that that's the reason why they own a gun. The number one far and away is people saying it's for protection. Any idea how many times a gun is actually used for self-defense? Hmm. If you don't have it, that's cool. I don't just... have it. Uh, that's a good question though. In my estimation, if you need a gun for protection, it's because either somebody's already shot at you or you have a reason to believe somebody's going to shoot at you. And I have a hard time believing that. What is it again? How? What percentage of gun owners own it for self-defense? I mean, 67% according to the Pew research. That's the 67% of respondents said that that's the number one reason. So 43% of households, correct? Yep. And so a third of that. So that gets us to what? So like, two thirds, yeah. So two thirds of that forty percent, theoretically, um, say it's for protection. So it's like twenty five ish percent of American households believe the gun is for protection. Is that correct? Yes. I have a very very difficult time believing that twenty five percent of American households are under enough threat that they feel. I'm going to edit <laughs> this part out, maybe, but. <laughs> But I'm just like, like, let me just... Well, especially since they own multiple guns, right? I mean, it's not just one. Like, we don't own, like, a gun for protection. Like, what we're saying is that the average gun owner owns multiple guns. So even though sports, like, sport shooting is third down the list. Um, yeah. A distant a distant third to protection and hunting. So I guess maybe people own multiple hunting rifles. I just find it fascinating that, like... And these are the people who responded to the Pew Research... Like to the yeah. survey. So some yeah. dude called him up and said, do you own a gun? Why do you own a gun? Right? Do you That's think right. for a second, do you think for a second that Pew had a sample set that included parts of the country where maybe you really did need to own a gun for protection? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I looked at some quick data to try to think about, you know, how does this look like urban versus residential, like versus uh, rural Right. Mm-hmm. Just so I could get a sense of like, you know, are people legit, um, you know, in need of, um, and you can see like, you know, urban metropolitan counties versus non-metropolitan counties, you know, violent crime is much higher, aggravated assault, much higher. Um, yeah. so property crimes generally higher. So, you know, if you live in a, in a city, I guess in theory, hundred <laughs> um, percent, like I get that. What I don't get is the person who lives in like the safe suburban enclave and like drives around with a nine in their car just in case. Yeah. And believe me, that happens. Well, it's just more likely. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. I think we could say based on the data, if you own a gun for protection, like I think the data would basically say, and you and I talked about this before, like, yeah. you know, everyone's an above average driver. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. Wobegon out there. Like we can tell, I mean, you can tell you the stats on like texting and driving, right? Like you're a danger to yourself and other people every time you answer a text full stop, right? That's mm-hmm. just not even debatable. Like it, that is, but yeah, people do it. Yeah. I mean, and they'll, they'll do it because everybody rationalizes it with the idea that, well, yeah, but I'm a good driver, right? but the data is still the data. Like on average, not everyone's above average. So yeah. you are yeah. like so the idea of like owning a gun for protection, you are way more likely to kill yourself with that gun, or somebody is going to 
use it in a way that you didn't anticipate than you are to actually use it for some events. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's, I mean, that's just statistically the case. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> like the, I, I know that even though I don't have the number handy, I know that the number of crimes averted by ownership of a gun are smaller than the combined number of suicides in a house with a handgun and accidents with a handgun that someone got a hold of. I don't know. I, I'm going to, Again, I'm going to editorialize here with the understanding that we have more data to get into. But here's honestly what I believe, right? Like, I like Roman candles, right? I think Roman candles are fun. I like the colors they make when you light them off. The state of Massachusetts does not allow me to buy Roman candles, right? I don't view it as the state infringing on my right to own property or my right to, for pursuit for happiness or whatever, nor do I make up this argument like this, there's this utilitarian purpose for owning a Roman candle. You know, I like the sounds. I like the way they explode. I kind of feel, and tell me if there's any data to back this up, but I kind of feel like, yes, you have hunters, all right? those You need a gun to shoot something, right? Unless you're like Ted Nugent, you want to go out there with a bow which is a lot of work, right? Um, but I'd my guess- count, count me in there. I'd actually be interested in doing bow. You'd like to do the bow? I'd love to try bow hunting. I think it'd be cool. My neighbor does it. It's pretty I think, awesome. I think it'd be, I, I think it would be cool. I mean, I, I could, I could see it being fun. Um, I just don't, you don't, you don't get more than one shot in on these things though. Correct. Like you can't. No, you gotta be a good shot. Yeah. You gotta be a good shot. Yeah. There's a lot of walking, you know, but it's the thrill of the hunt, Dan, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. But like, okay, we can get into that. <laughs> we you know how they say that. golf is like golf is like a great walk spoiled. Like, wouldn't be hunting like a great walk that is spoiled for somebody else. Well, yes, <laughs> number yeah, you definitely ruined it for the deer. And the second part of that is like, at least with golf, like you're walking out with the same amount of baggage you walked in with. You yeah, should haul that shit all the way back. Out. Yeah, <laughs> you. Oh, are we allowed to swear on this? Podcast? Yeah, totally. We could swear. We could say shit and fuck and stuff. My daughter just left. Um, you shoot the deer. The deer's wounded, but it's not like mortally wounded. So it's going to be walking for a while. Then you got to follow the trail of blood. And, you know, the deer's going off into the woods further. And then you got to drag that thing, you know, to your truck or whatever. Not to mention if the deer is still alive. Like at least with a gun, you can do the mercy kill way easier than you can with the bow. You know? Do you yeah. just keep firing arrows into yeah. it until it? I, yeah, I mean, you got to have some kind of Rambo-like device that auto loads it or something. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, so anyway. I'm I, at any rate, I'm going to jump to an assumption here that in their heart of hearts, most gun owners just really like guns because they're cool and they make a lot of noise and they blow stuff up, and that's fine. That's totally cool with me. Like, I am fine with that. But when you start to like weave it into this like constitutional argument, that's when I've kind of got to call bullshit on it. So, yeah, so, if, so am I totally unfounded though in that? No, or? no, no. Actually, you're. I think you're actually on the right track. I was gonna. I was gonna say uh, I have some data for that. So, all right. Um, three quarters of gun owners say basically that owning a gun is a quote essential to their freedom. So, unlike your Roman candle example, right? Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the constitution did they think to set down the lighting off of cool fireworks as an important thing that, uh, that, that citizens should have a right to, but we've now assumed 
um, that states' rights to terrain militias uh, has led to people feeling like hoarding guns is essential to their freedom, which, which again, this is going to be a fun and fun, weird tangent. I'm about to take you on. So please indulge me for a second. Yes. Go. So if you were harboring fever dreams of fending off the government from taking over your property, stealing your things, your children, I don't know, whatever, in whatever, uh, you know, um, fantasy that some gun owner may have about, you know, protecting, feeling that they're protecting themselves from government overreach. Let's just look at the data on, you know, actual standoffs and occupations in the United States. Okay. Um, you know, of, there's been about 13 of these since the 1960s, right? Some of these you, you probably heard of like Waco, Ruby Ridge, mm-hmm. you know, there's, a, uh, let's just say, you know, just a cursory review of this, that over 70% of the casualties are civilians. Um, and on average, you know, across, uh, only five of these ended in actual firefight. Um, and, uh, most of the casualties end up on the side of the, um, the people tr- theoretically defending it, which is sort of just the idea. And most of that's Waco, obviously that skews that, but, yeah. um, but these people, you end up either dead or in jail. If you, if you try to get into a gunfight with the government, um, yeah. I mean, that's just, so, <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not, this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, make an editorial comment about that. Believe it. Just the data would say like, that's crazy to think that no amount of AR 15s that you own in your house is going to, if the government decides they're coming for whatever you think they're coming for, like they're going to get it. Like there's no, (laughs) no number of AR 15s that you own is going to stop that from happening. No, I've got a better example, right? In the 1980s, the U.S. sold Stinger missiles to the Mujahideen, and in 2001, the Taliban fired them back at us, and we still won. Yeah. You know, so the the odds of, like, yeah, the U.S. government wants something. They're probably going to get it, no matter what type of firearm you have on you. Yeah, I feel that's rather silly. But there's still, like, here's the here's the interesting thing, right, is you see this disparity, this one disparity in terms of what's essential to freedom between gun owners and non-gun owners, you know? So everyone believes freedom of speech, right to vote, right to privacy, freedom of religion. Everybody's on board with that, right? The gun owners are, the the disparity between gun owners, non-gun owners in terms of the right to own guns is so wide. And, And I almost feel like based on the percentages here, what you're looking at is really just a group of people who are you know, in the gun culture and not in the gun culture. And, and I would even argue that for the most part, a lot of our more heated debates today are rural versus urban at this point in time. And I think Mm. guns is kind of center stage in that argument. There's no greater divide between urban and rural in my mind than gun ownership. Now, now you could argue maybe if you're in a rural area, you're so far from help that like if you know if you call the police it's going to take a long time for them to get there so 
maybe you could say, all right, well, that, that would be the reason why you'd want to maybe own um, something for protection. And I could see that. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because the one thing that's always made me fairly, I guess, soft on the gun issue or, you know, it, or, or at least flexible on the gun issue is uh, a friend of mine who grew up in Montana and he grew up in a place where quite literally, if you called the cops, it would take an hour for them to get to your house. So, yeah. I mean, it's not that different than the issue of healthcare in another, like anytime there's like a broad public service, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was out at a conference in Montana and talking to a guy there about how hard it is. Like if you call an ambulance, it could take a while. Yeah. Like they got to fly like a helicopter to come get you yeah. in some cases, right? But it's interesting because David, my last guest, talked about how America has in a lot of ways, a very lonely cultural landscape in the sense that we are so self-reliant and we're so individualistic that in a lot of cases that leads us not to seek the same strong interpersonal connections you might get in another country or in another culture. Mm -hmm. And that whole idea of you being sort of that army of one, that that self-reliant standalone figure kind of plays very well into the concept of gun ownership where you are effectively your own police force in a way. Right. Um, and so, so I get it. I get the mentality. Um, but again, like I, I, I feel like, I feel like if you're quoting the constitution to justify what you're doing, you're probably not doing the right thing. Like, can you think of one case that's gone before the Supreme court for like freedom of speech or, Larry Flint doesn't count. He yeah, doing the right he was thing. the one I was going to cite. Like, <laughs> like the fir- like the big First Amendment cases are about Klan marches and porno mags, and it's like, why, like, why are we using the Constitution for this? And I, and I do feel like, you know, one of the statements one of our earlier guests said, Brian Fry, he was like, a Constitution is as a Constitution does, and generally the tests to the Constitution are reflective of some point we want to make about what we can do as a society. And I just feel like, again, like if you want to own a gun for hunting or you want to own a gun because it's fun, or you maybe you want to own a gun because you legitimately think you need protection from the government. I'm not going to judge you for that. Like, that's fine, but let's just drop the bullshit here. And let's say, let's figure out how do we allow you to have your guns and at the same time make it so I can go into a movie theater or send my kids to school and not worry about some dude off his meds going in and just shooting up the place. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's a that's a great segue because that actually will take us to some of the area where I did spend some time on on this data, which was to look at the just the rate of homicide, right? So stripping out what we were talking about about suicide, yes. but just saying which which would seem the data would seem to suggest that um, the more handguns or more firearms you have available, the more suicides you have, mm-hmm. um, and that would seem you know. And again, we saw that as we stated earlier, you know, the U.S. is not the highest in the world, but it, it's elevated, I think, in suicides uh, rate. In you know, it's the thirty fourth in the world. Um, per hundred thousand residents, yeah. um, and so 
But the homicide one's interesting because we are far and away the highest on homicides by firearm okay. uh, in the developed world. And, you know, not surprisingly, as we stated earlier, we own more guns than like anybody, like in civilian hands. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's hard to, for anybody to look at the data and not come away with the idea that the more firearms you have, the more firearm homicides you have. Yeah. And that's- stop. That and one, so it must be that people are okay with that, like that they somewhere they're just like that's the price of freedom, right? That like, you know, it's essential to their freedom and it's and their pursuit of happiness. So they so they need this right to have guns or to own multiple guns or to be able to get them at any time, anywhere. And I'll cite some data in a second on that. Um, and I I find that really tough to to look at and see in the context of just the frequency uh, with which you likely are to have firearm homicides, the more guns that are available. Yeah. Right. Because if you look at the data on like cutting, piercing and suffocation, which would be the next two biggest ones. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, in the U S like those rates of like cutting, piercing and suffocation homicides are basically flat and haven't gone up at all. Um, and they're not that dissimilar to any other developed country. So that's sort of like your chances of being strangled to death in the United States are about the same as they are as being strangled to death in England or in Germany or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not, or being stabbed, same, yeah. right? Um but being killed by a gun, like way more, like <laughs> yeah. way, way, way more. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, and, and that's where I was kind of looking, started to go down this idea of, you know, how many, you can see like we've seen an increase like in, since 2010, even to 2014, we've seen um, an increase of like 31% uh, of, of just the number of um, homicides involving firearms, which is just seems like an odd thing that it's had this big uptick and I was trying to figure out what that, what might've driven that. And, and I think, you know, as you saw some of the data I had sent you earlier, like where I think that led to is that we just have more gun dealers, like that yes. number's gone up. Right. So, um, and I, you know, interestingly, um, you know, I, and I, I was trying to find out exactly why we've seen such an increase in this. I suspect it has to do with the expiration of, there were like the, the restrictions on um, on assault rifle sales, or like you know, like these uh, the Brady once the Brady Law had expired, yeah. Um, that I think you where you saw a lot of these uh, disappear over time once the Brady Law was enacted, and I think then once it was um, it expired and was not renewed, um, it went it it led to um, an increase in yeah. the number. So. Uh, but I thought it was interesting because you get into the data and you want to make sure I understand like exactly what, you know, what we're counting here. And so, because they do count different types of firearm dealerships. So that can include, you know, gun shops and it can also include like pawn brokers, but then they also include like anybody who's a, um, a dealer in firearms and other destructive devices. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you want to make sure like it's kind of an actual real number. Right. Um, so I looked at it as just like, what well, okay, like, pawnbrokers and gun shops total. And that comes to like 62,000, 
right, uh, in the U.S. Um, put that in context, that's as many sites as the top five restaurant chains combined. That's three times the number of standalone gas stations. And it's about half as many as there are elementary schools in the U.S. So basically it's going to be easier for me to find a place where I can buy a firearm than like a pizza hut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you look at the top five, I mean, I just added up the total number of like McDonald's sites, Starbucks sites, Subway sites, Taco Bell sites, yeah, like, and Chick-fil-A and you total, you sum that total and it's, it's, uh, it's less than the number of, of gun shops and pawnbrokers registered in the United States. Yeah. Well, so an interesting trend that I saw in the data you put out, and I'm going to put this on the site as well, is how if you look like around, let's say it starts in 87 and, and goes to 93, and you'll see the number of licensed gun dealers is very, you know, it's very high. And then between 93 and 96, it just drops. It's nearly cut. And I think that's the, that's the Brady law. Yeah. Okay. So that's the Brady law. Yeah. It's cut in half. And then it kind of starts to trickle up over time. So then uh, it starts to go up. And the last data point you have is in 2016, where it's, you know, probably gone up about 30% from the initial, from, from where it, you know, from where it bottomed out. The interesting thing, you look at the homicide rate over those same years, it actually like almost corresponds identically. Yeah, so for, I put this in a table. I didn't actually because we didn't have enough data points to run a real correlation. Yeah, like if I had this actual data series as opposed to just these by you know five year increments, mm-hmm. I could have actually just run it as a correlation. But just eyeballing this, I can guarantee you the correlation would be somewhere in the like 0.7.8 kind of correlation, which would be very high. Yeah. So basically, gun dealers. There's there seems to be a correlation between the number of gun dealers out there and the number of homicides. And that's kind of, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, it, it, number of gun dealers, number of homicides. That seems to be just pretty clear in the numbers here. Um, I'm going to tell you the interesting thing I saw here. Cause I look, I think without a doubt, all editorial aside and, and without a doubt, it's the, like the guns are definitely killing people, if not playing a significant role in the killing of people. And I think the the best data point aside from the the number of licensed gun dealers is the fact that your likelihood of getting strangled or stabbed to death in another country is pretty much equal to the US. So it's obvious that the rate of gun death is directly proportionate to the amount of guns. And the interesting thing I see here though is is I do see some room for agreement. And I do see some room for us to maybe start to at least work around the edges of the gun debate. And the big thing I saw in, in the data you dug up is what gun owners and non-gun owners feel are the most essential ways to reduce the rate of gun violence in the U.S., and uh, and and one of the big areas that both parties are in agreement on is the ease at which people can illegally obtain guns. So, right. you know, you talked about the licensed gun dealers out there 
And then, of course, there are all these other gun dealers. There are gun shows. There are pawnbrokers. And depending on what state you're in, you may be able to buy a firearm with minimal record keeping. Yeah, and I think it's what's crazy, right? And this is kind of, I think this is going to be a nice way to sort of tie up the end of this, right? In the United States, the private sale and transfer of firearms totally allowed, Mm -hmm. and the buyer of that is not obliged to pass an official background check Mm -hmm. before taking possession in a private sale. Yeah. So if I buy a gun, pass a, I go to a gun dealer, Mm -hmm. I pass a background check to buy a handgun, I can just sell it to you. Yep. Right. And you don't have to do a, a background check. You just give me 200 bucks and I give you the gun. You now own that gun. Yeah. And no one knows that it's out there. And that it's other than the last time I heard I had it because I was passed a background check and bought it. Yeah. Right. That's where I think it's fascinating because then you can see this in the data at like in Finland, mm-hmm. right? Where there are many, many, many more guns per capita, right? They're, they're way up the list in guns per capita close to the United States, but their homicide rate's actually quite low. Now, interestingly, that is the one where the suicide rate was very high. So again, I would sort of argue for uh, if you're alone in the dark and the cold in the middle of the winter and you happen to have a gun handy um, and you become depressed, you you might, you know, it becomes very easy to, to off yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, but the so, so the suicide again rate in Finland seems to be elevated because they fall in that because that gun ownership per capita seems to be very high. And I don't I don't know that that's exactly correlated. I'm sure there's probably been a paper written on it, but it kind of looks like eyeballing the data. That's what it sort of looks like. But interestingly, the homicide rate is not, and that's where I think it's interesting because Finland's I think control of these guns, if I understand it correctly, seems to be far more like the way we treat ownership of a car. Yeah. And that's what I said. I knew at the start we were going to end up back where you were talking about because that's where, um, you know, that was seemed to me where my, my mind goes looking at all this data that that's the compromise place to go where you'd say, you know, is it crazy to say like you absolutely have a right to own a gun if you'd like to own one for hunting, for sport shooting, maybe even protection, whatever, however, maybe because it's your constitutional right. And you want to express, sure, and if you just want to exercise it that way yeah. by taking it out on the Fourth of July and staring at it, yeah, and exactly. It because that's go for it. essential to your freedom. Then great, but is it too much to ask that we ask you to a have passed a you know a course showing that you can you know parallel park and use your blinkers with that gun first that you have. Um, you know, so therefore you have now been registered as officially having, you know, shown that you understand all the issues around it and passed maybe even a little quick exam on, you know, this gun safety. And then once you have it, we just know that we just want to know that you own it and you have the papers on it. And if, if Dan goes and buys it from you, please like, let us know the pink slipped changed hands. So we know he's got it. And we know he's passed the course because we'd like him to come in and pass the safety course first as well. Right. Like that's where I, is it just treating it exactly like auto ownership seems to me like the most obvious middle ground. And I, and I guess it, the resistance to this would seem to be, correct me if you're, if I, you think I'm off base, I think the resistance would seem to be that there's like, you know, oh, that's just a slippery slope toward like registering 
all of my guns and therefore they'll come for them. Like newsflash, they, you registered all your children with them. I mean, like they, they know everything about you. Yeah. Like every, <laughs> they already know your address. They know all your stuff. They probably know you. They know your net worth basically through the, for the, uh, the IRS. Like they know all your children. Like really you, you, you think that, you're gonna like needing to hide a gun ownership is important yeah like i don't i don't i do it like they could freeze your bank account good luck with that gun do that tomorrow (laughs) tomorrow yeah like like really i mean the nice thing is you live in a country where they actually have to have like just cause for that and somebody has to go for a judge and prove that they have a reason to do that so but somehow that's exempted for guns like they're just gonna come and raid your house and take your gun away because you happen to have like gone through a safety course and registered that you are a licensed owner. Like I, I don't really understand. No, no, I think that's stupid. I think that's, I think that's a stupid argument, but yet, and this is so in kind of preparing for this, I did go on a lot of different, like, you know, pro gun Reddit threads and pro gun Facebook groups. And it was all like, they're coming for your guns. That was like the big thing. Nobody's coming from your guns. Nobody wants your guns. Let me just, put every gun owner's mind at rest. The flip side is, I will say, is I don't believe the Democrat, uh, the Democratic, uh, or let me start over again. The other side of it is, I, I, I do not believe the Democratic Party is doing a very good job allaying the concerns of gun owners. Because to be frank, some of the stuff I hear out of their mouths after learning a little bit more about the nature of gun ownership in this country and some of the laws regulating it is just untrue. Like the whole idea of weapons of war being owned, things like that. Like that is just, that is as sensational as they're coming for your guns. And, uh, and, and I, and, and I do think, I, I think what I see in the data here though, kind of getting back to it is there does seem to be a middle, there does seem to be some room to work together. I think clearly both sides agree that both gun owners and non-gun owners agree that preventing the mentally ill from purchasing guns is a good idea. Both agree that uh, decreasing the uh, the freedom or decreasing the ease at which someone can get a gun illegally is a good idea. Um, there seems to be support for increased background checks generally, even, even at gun shows, the gap between the gap between background checks for private sales and gun shows is actually pretty small compared to like some of the other, uh, measures out there. So those, those little tweaks are doable. And, and I do think that this all or nothing framework that we're forced to look at the issue in is not doing anyone a, a service. I mean, this is kind of the genesis of your, your whole podcast here, right? That's yeah. it, man. I mean, uh, I, I, I would have to agree as we said at the start. I mean, I'm actually, I'm one who've actually gone, you know, at least part of the way toward looking into how to get a gun. And I can fully admit to you, I was interested in owning not one, but two potential guns. Um, I would, I, I'd like to own, a handgun mostly because I think they're kind of just an interesting and cool, um, engineering feat that I would use for, that I would use for sports shooting number one. So I'd fall on that. That third thing down the list would probably be my number one. There's a target place right near me that I'd love to go to and use that. 
Um, second, I'd love to own a hunting rifle because I'd love somebody to teach me how to hunt. Unfortunately, uh, you've met my dad. You know, he's not exactly the kind <laughs> of uh, red-blooded alpha male that's going to be out shooting anything. Um, but I actually would love to. Uh, I am a um, unapologetic meat eater, and I would be thrilled to actually uh, to do what your your former interview there did, which is to to go and shoot my own. Yeah, um, I agree. Protection, I guess. <laughs> You know, sure, I'll keep it in a safe nearby. And if for some reason, conveniently, if someone broke into my house and gave me enough notice that I could get it out of the safe in time to use it for protection, I maybe. Yeah, I think. Sure. Uh, sure. I guess that story checks yeah. out. Like, yeah, okay. That'll work the way I, that I imagine it will go in my head. Sure. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's fine. You know, go out, get one. You can get one. And just like, don't be an asshole about it. You know, like, no. Yeah. Should I go get like, you know, take a test, prove that I know what I'm doing with it, have a license when I buy it, they know I have it. You know, is that really that a big a deal? I like, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think the, the, the issue may be that you have people who legitimately are probably brought up knowing how to use a gun. And it's almost like, imagine if like they came along and said, you need a bicycle license. And you were like, what do I need a bike license for? I know how to ride a bike. But then there were all these idiots who like were riding bikes, like who had never ridden them before and were riding them into traffic and stuff like that. It's like, it's kind of like you have to accept the fact that a bunch of bad actors ruined it for you all and just take the test for the rest of us. So we can Yeah, run. but I mean, it's fascinating, right? Because in my mind, I guess I've always thought of it as like, yeah, it's a lethal, potentially lethal tool, yeah. right? And you use it for certain things, right? Uh I also have a chainsaw in my garage. I mean, we made a whole movie about massacring people with a chainsaw, yeah. right? So clearly I'm like allowed to have that, right? But, you know, a gun is obviously a bigger deal. So just like my car, like I can drive that. I could theoretically drive a car into a bunch of people. Like, so they ask that, you know, all right, you're going to drive this thing down the road that we effectively have you licensed and we know you own a car and that it's insured because as we said at the start, right, every bullet comes with a lawyer. Yeah. Well, so does every car, right? Because you get into an accident, it's going to be, we're going to just get it on the insurance. There's going to be potential damage. We've got to need to look at it. It's like, so is it that? crazy to think that we should just take the same approach to this other potentially lethal not necessarily but potentially lethal tool that people want to own i'm with you i'm with you man well i would say we've made you and i have made some progress on an issue that we're both in a fair degree of agreement on (laughs) i i (laughs) <laughs> as we're going to find we have many many, many yes yes on, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested in in hearing from the folks who maybe fall more on the the pro second amendment side of things but we've definitely had a little bit of that um and we're gonna have some of that next week anyway so just imagine how these will go when we have some uh we're in person and we bring the whiskey oh yeah man oh yeah problemos <laughs> get ready poor listener yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you're fucked <laughs> So what jumped out at me about the data wasn't so much what it said about the correlation between guns and gun violence, duh, but the areas where gun owners and non-gun owners agree. And there's a high level of support amongst both parties for making it harder to get guns illegally and requiring background checks at gun shows and private sales. And 
given the majority of guns find their way into the black market via both of those channels, why not start there? It seems to make way more sense in arguing about your constitutional rights or against some gun you don't like because it's scary looking. Um, Now, I should be clear that the data monkey and I really like Massachusetts gun laws, but for next week, I'm going to challenge this assertion and I've invited an attorney who helps people denied firearms licenses in Massachusetts to get their permit to carry. And I want to see who's ill served by the system we've got here. So hope you'll join me until the next. This is Dan Sally signing off.